In this session, we're going to uh, conclude our study uh, of the problem of lying. And uh, I can't resist sharing the story, and I know I shared it not too long ago, but it summarizes quite well all that we've learned up to this point with regards to the problem of lying. And so for those of you who have heard it before, this time you'll probably get it. And um, for those that you haven't heard it, uh, it may be funny to you. But the uh, story uh, goes where there's a, an excessive drought that's taken place all throughout uh, the, the uh, grasslands of Africa. And as a result, any time that there's a, a drought that, that uh, is in an area, the wildlife in that area have to move towards civilized areas to find food to eat. And this was no different in this situation. And this farmer, or actually a rancher, tells the story of a lion that had moved into his, uh, his territory and uh, he was raising cattle. And this particular lion continued to come down into his ranch land and destroy his cattle and haul them off and eat them because of, uh, because of the drought. And uh, so what happened, he had two prized bulls that he had on this particular piece of property, and one of the bulls became a victim of this particular lion. And so the lion dragged the bull out into the, into the territory and began to eat this bull, and uh, did so with much delight, and began to roar with approval as they do when they conquer any kill that they have. Well, what the rancher did was, hearing the roars of the lion, he was able to track the lion to the spot where he had dragged the bull and was able to shoot and kill this particular lion. And uh, the rancher that told the story told the moral of the story is quite simple. And that is, when you're full of bull, you need to learn when to be quiet. And uh, it, it ties in real well to what we've been talking about. And so some of us need to learn when to keep our mouth shut. Or there's going to be consequences, and we're going to talk about that this morning. Um, so far, we've learned basically up to this point... The causes of lying, and there are several of them, but the Bible clearly speaks to the fact that there are several causes of lying. The first cause was that of the devil. We're told all throughout the Bible that we do have an adversary who is our enemy, who has uh, weapons or strategies in which he employs, and one of them, obviously, is to influence us to do that which is wrong before God. See, it was like the old Flip Wilson. You know, Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. But the truth of the Bible is the devil doesn't make any of us do anything, although he is certainly capable of influencing us, influencing us, everybody after me, influencing us, is capable of leading us in a direction that isn't right before God. And so the Bible teaches that the devil was the father of all lies and he was a murderer from the beginning. We see that in Genesis chapter 3. We also realize, too, that there's a lack of faithfulness on our part to lie. Faithfulness to the truth, to be men and women who stand for the truth. At the end of our, our time last week, Billy Graham, the quote I read, he said, Who will stand for truth? Where are the men and women in our culture, our society today, that stands for truth, absolute truth, beyond a shadow of a doubt? This is truth. It always has been, always will be. And we need to stand in that gap. The reason that some of us lie is because we lack the faithfulness to be men and women of truth who stand in that particular uh, point in life and say, hey, you know what, there are some things that are true. We also saw that lying is, a, is a, a, at the root of lying oftentimes is hatred, where we pretend that we lie to one another in order to spare one another our feelings. The reality, according to the Bible, is that we really hate each other, and there are some resentments and animosity that have been built up. We lie because we're afraid of other people. And, uh, you know, in Isaiah 57:11, God asked the nature of Israel, who did you fear that you would lie? Who did you fear that you would lie? I mean, did you fear men or do you fear me? I mean, really, the bottom line is we, we have fears. We're afraid of what people think. We're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid of what's going to happen if we're discovered. We're afraid of what people are going to find out about us if they really knew about us. We're afraid that we might lose our friends and benefits and all that goes along with it. But God says, hey, don't fear man, but fear God. 
And so really fear is at the, at the root of lying. And also our old sin nature. I mean, some of us, I mean, we, we've, we've uh, grown and uh, developed patterns and habits in our life. And that when we've come to know Christ, even though we're new creatures in Christ, those old patterns and habits continue to come with us. And we need to relearn how to live again. And, and actually not live again, but relearn how to live in a way that's pleasing to God. And get rid of all the old ways. Old things pass away. All things become new. So we saw that those were some of the causes, the characteristics we saw last time we got together. God hates lying. And that should be enough for us to stop. He also says that any time that we lie, it's an abomination before God. And where there's an abomination that's used, there's judgment that follows. That liars listen to destructive talk instead of checking with the sources. They encourage that type of conversation. Did he really say that? Did she really say that? Can we call him? Can we check with him? Let's go find out because I don't, I don't understand what's going on. Let's check into this a little further. The Bible says it, uh, it's worse than being poor. And in our, so, in, in our uh, materialistic society, we think that the worst thing in the world that can happen to us is if we lose all our goodies and material possessions. But God says there are far worse things that can happen to a person than losing all their material goods. And that is, he says, hey, the worst thing that can happen to you is that you lose your soul forever and go to hell. The second worst thing that can happen is, is that you're not pleasing to God in the way you live your life. No matter what you look like on the outside, God cares about the character of the heart. And lying certainly is a character issue. That lying also comes in the form of boasting. Many of us boast about who we are, what we've accomplished, what we've done, and we see it on resumes all the time, and we hear it in conversation with one another. God says that oftentimes we need to be careful in how we speak to each other because we tend to begin to inflate ourselves a little bit so that the hearer thinks more highly of ourselves than they deserve to think or than that we really are. And the last thing was that we saw that lying is failing to live what we believe. We talk a good talk, but we don't walk a good walk. We're saying one thing out of our mouth and we're doing another thing in the way that we live. And frankly, that's the thing that keeps people from coming to know Christ that want anything to do with studying the Bible, that wants anything to do with understanding who God is because they listen to your lifestyle more than they listen to the words that you share with them. And so we need to understand that the way we live speaks much louder. It's like a picture's worth a thousand words. The way we live our life speaks much louder than what we're telling people. And we need to keep that in the proper order. There's a time to tell people why we live the way that we do, but it's important that we live the way that we should in order to help them to understand that there is a certain lifestyle. Now, what I want to do is I want to shift gears for a little bit, and uh, that will bring you up to date so that we can wrap everything up this morning. But I want to ask you a question. How many of you have been following the story that's been, seems like an ongoing story, about the couple and their son that found the, uh, the wallet with all the money in it? How many, how many of you heard that story? Okay, so most of us are informed on, the, on that particular story. Can I ask maybe for some feedback? Because I've, I've been wrestling with this story now for as long as it's been out, I guess a week, two weeks. And uh, I, want, I want you to share with me and the, the rest of the people that are here some observations that you've made based on what you've seen in this story. Would anybody like to? I mean, does anybody think, I mean, or just kind of like, I know you have to think when you hear stories like this, right? I mean, now the people that think will say, well, I'd certainly like to volunteer something here because otherwise I'd be in the non-thinking category. So I'm amazed. Hi. Would you? All right. Number one, being honest paid off. How many of you have come to that conclusion? Evidently, being honest certainly did pay off. Honesty is the best policy, right? Well, at least it's demonstrated to some degree. Yes. Yeah, how many of you found that the, the amount of publicity they got with simply doing what's right was just 
absolutely incredible. It was to me. I mean, I, I was like, what's the big deal here? I mean, how low has our society sunk that we would make such a big news item about somebody simply doing what was right? Even the people that did it said, I just did what we were always taught to do. And that is, it wasn't ours. We needed to return it to whom it was. What's the big deal about that? Wow, what has happened to us that that became such a newsworthy item? Okay, that's a good point. We're desperate for heroes. We want to see, we want role models. We want people that are doing what's right. We want to grasp that again and say, hey, you know what? This is good. Honesty is the best policy. It's the right thing to do. And, and good, um, you know, it, it's, maybe it's a good thing in our society that it became such a public issue because it's forced people like me to think about it and you to think about it, to discuss it and find out, hey, why in the world is this such a big deal? Shouldn't we just be doing this anyway? And then it was like, gee, well, why didn't they hurt? Well, gee, you know what? Wasn't it? Why didn't they get a reward from the people that they gave the wallet back to? What's wrong with these people? Well, maybe they're from a culture, and apparently they weren't from our country, which <laughs> explains some of it. Maybe they were from a culture that, hey, when you found somebody that was someone else's, you just took it back to them, and that's what you did, and it wasn't a big deal. It was just the right thing to do. And we sit here and go, oh, they should have gave them a hundred bucks, two hundred bucks, five hundred bucks, whatever. Why? He said, thank you for giving me back my wallet. And our first reaction is, man, I can't believe they didn't get a reward. Well, what's wrong with us that we would even think that? Yes. Okay, and then here's the other problem, the thing that I really struggle with. And that is that it's like, okay, it's good to teach that we need to do what's right. But our problem is in our society is we immediately want to see some type of reward for doing what's right. And I'm very concerned about that because let me tell you something about what the Bible teaches. Doing right may never be recognized by anybody else here on earth, but God sees everything we do. See, and, and just because you do what's right, it's like, well, why should you get a reward? Why should you get something other than just doing what is right? And in our culture, it goes back to the same problem to begin with, and that is, why didn't we get a reward? There's a number one problem. The number two problem is, okay, now that I did what's right, shouldn't I get rewarded for what I did what was right? Oh, okay, well, why didn't you just do what's right? Because it was right to do what was right. And why, if you don't get a reward, why would you be bitter about the fact that you didn't get a reward because you did what was right? Wasn't it still the right thing to do, regardless of whatever the response was to doing what's right? See how confused we get? And what happens is we begin to believe that, okay, every time I do what's right, there must be an immediate reward for me doing what's right. And we go through that with our kids. It's like, oh, hey, I did what was right. Good for you. Oh, man, Dad, is that all you're going to tell me? Well, what else do you want me to tell you? It's like people that work. Hey, I put a full week of work in this week. Do I get a bonus? That's what people act like. Oh, no, I thought you got a paycheck. Oh, yeah, but I really worked harder this week than the last 20 years I worked here. Well, let's just call it trying to balance things out a little bit, huh? And how about working hard for the next 10 years, and then maybe you might put a dent in the debt side of your account. It's like we're, 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 we're crazy people. We've just got all messed up. Yes, sir. Ma'am. No, the sir was behind you, really. I, understand. I, I can tell that the, the bald guy was the guy, okay? <laughs> okay.
No, it was a good thing. And no, I mean, don't question what I'm saying. I understand that. And it is, hey, and, and God's in control. So the fact that it happened, there's a reason for it. And maybe the reason for it in our particular cases that we're able to discuss it and use it in light of what he teaches in the word. And for the rest of the world that struggled with, hey, wait a minute. See, because here's the other thing that was said and mentioned. And that is, man, here's a, here's a, here's a couple that are out of work. They have no place to live. How much harder it must have been for them to do the right thing when the immediate temptation would have been to take money to meet immediate needs because it would have been very easy to rationalize and justify that. And it's a wonderful testimony to their character that they didn't even second guess it or think about it. It was just the right thing to do and that's what we did. And the quicker they gave the wallet back, the easier it was to make that decision. You walk around with that sucker in your pocket for a week past the stores and windows like, I got this wallet, it's not mine. But man, I got this wallet, it's not mine, I hang on to it. You know, do the right thing as quick as you can. Before something comes into the program to mess it up. See, that's why flee temptation. Get out of it as quick as you can because something's going to happen to mess it up if you, if you don't understand that type of situation. I don't want to talk about it all morning, but I just thought it was interesting to discuss that in light of because it really does fall in, in, into our subject matter. Okay, I, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Please say something. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Right. Yeah, see, you know, it was a strange thing for someone to do. Isn't this a weird thing for someone to do? Well, it certainly is, you know, in light of what we're used to seeing in the newspapers. Yes. Oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, okay, good. Well, there we go. So, you know. But even so, even if the people had told the media that that's what they did, uh, they still had to do what was right. And then, our, you know, our skeptical selves would say, well, they were banking on the bigger haul. <laughs> you know, we're going to turn into 2500 and hope it turns into 10000 in a free apartment. Nah, I don't know. But it was the police that did tell the media, which was good. Anyway, um, enough of that. Let me ask you another question. And, you know, and the reason that, 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 we, that I even want to discuss this is because I guess it ties into the fact that is doing right such an exception that it becomes newsworthy? And, and, I, and, and the other thing is don't expect because you do what's right to be immediately rewarded in such a tangible, practical, physical, material way. And because what happens is when we're not, then we become embittered against doing the right thing because we didn't get the result that we were looking for. And then we start to say the next time, well, if it happens, well, I'm just going to take some of it or do this or that. And so we need to understand that those are dangerous things. Uh, another thing I want to do is lay a foundation for what we're going to talk about in the rest of the session. And that is that, um, to ask the question, is it, ever right to, is it ever right to lie? Are there conditions or circumstances in life where it's actually the right thing to do to lie? And that's a challenging thought. And I just want to share with you some things that I've wrestled with. Um, just recently, I, I, I had lunch with a friend and we talked about this because what happens is that when we become people of extremes, we tend to overreact or underreact 
to the teaching that's truth in Scripture. Let me give you some examples. The Bible clearly teaches that there's such a thing as free will. We have choice. The Bible also clearly teaches there's such a thing as the sovereignty of God, that God's in control of everything that's going on in the universe. All right? There's, there's, a, there's a struggle there. The Bible clearly teaches that there's such a thing as grace, that we get what we don't deserve. But there's also such a thing as just, ju- judgment and justice, and we get what we do deserve. The Bible clearly teaches that there's such a thing as, as being pleasing to God by faith, simply believing Him. But it also teaches that faith without works is dead. That there's an evidence of having a right relationship with God, of saying that we have faith in God by the way that we live our life. So there's that issue of faith and there's the issue of works. There's the issue of free will and the sovereignty of God. There's the issue of love and belief. There's an issue of uh, coming to Christ with childlike faith. And yet there's the encouragement in the Bible that we're to grow or mature and grow in respect to our salvation. So the Bible doesn't say, stay a child, but it says, come to me with childlike faith, but never be content on being childish in what you do, but to grow up in your faith, to mature in your faith. The Bible teaches such things as, hey, if, there, if you work hard, God will reward you. But on the other hand, we know people that work very hard, and that yet it, it, they don't seem to be rewarded physically or materially like others who don't seem to work as hard. And that we understand that, yes, on one side of it, we need to work hard. And yet on the other side of it, everything that we do and the results of what we do are in the hands of God. Because it's God's grace by which we prosper. Or God's choice by who prospers in material ways and who does not. Why do I share all of this with you? Because I really believe that if we are people of extremes, then we are denying truth that's taught in Scripture. If we're a people of extreme and everything is free will and that God is not in control of everything, then we deny the truth of what God teaches. If we're people that say, I'm going to have childlike faith and don't grow in our faith, then we're denying what God says about learning and growing with respect to our salvation and our relationship with God. So if we're on one extreme or the other, that's a very dangerous place to be. There are people who just want to forgive. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter. Just forgive you. And then there are other people on the other side of the aisle who want to hang anybody who does anything wrong. And so there's really a healthy tension that, co- that, that really coexists within Scripture as far as what God teaches. And what's the answer to the dilemma? I really believe it's wisdom and it's discernment. It's asking God, if any man lacks wisdom, and we do in all of these areas, to ask of God who will give us generously and above reproach for the purposes of discerning what we should do and how we should act. We need discernment. We need wisdom. And the only place we can find it is in the Bible. And I lay that all out and through prayer. And in in reading the Bible and prayer simultaneously and talking with one another and getting counsel from one another, then we need to be wise in how we handle certain difficult situations. And that's why there's never a clear-cut answer to a lot of things that fall into that category because there are some who want to do it this way and others who want to do it that way. And we need to seek the Word of God and to pray and literally get on our knees and ask God, give us wisdom in this because it's not as easy as it looks. Now, I lay that all out because I'm going to ask you the question again. Are there ever conditions when lying is justified? And how many, I mean, don't, I don't even want to, I don't want you to raise your hand and I don't want to cause any tremendous undue grief in your life. But either nod to yourself, no, or shake your head, yes. Because if there are those of you who say no, um, you say no for whatever reason. If there's those of you who say yes, just because you say yes doesn't mean what you think is right is right. You following me? No. Good. Was that no, it's never right to lie, or no, I'm not following you, or yes, I don't understand. <laughs> but, but, 
and I have to share this with you because this is not an easy this is not an easy subject to approach because there are those who are in the category it's never right to lie, and then there are those who it's always right to lie, and and then if you get caught you lie again, so. But and it goes back to what we're talking about as far as extremes. We have to be very careful to examine the evidence as far as Scripture is concerned. And now let me give you a couple of illustrations. In the book of Exodus, the midwives were called upon by Pharaoh. And they were told to bring all the baby boys of Israel that were born to Pharaoh so that they could be executed and that they would be murdered. When Pharaoh came back to the midwives and asked him, did you do what I told you to do? They said, quote, it was already too late. They had already given birth and there are no baby children here. All right. It was a lie. And it saved the life of Moses because they hid him in the reeds and that's how he was spared what they were told to do. It was a lie. Is that right or wrong? There's a dilemma here. Now, for you, those of you who say lying is always wrong, this is going to be a real dilemma for you, and you're going to have to do a lot of gymnastics to try to figure out what this is all about. How about in Judges 16? Samson deceived the enemies of Israel by lying to them. Flat out lied to them, literally under the advice of God on what to do and how to do it. And lied. Was that right or wrong? Second Kings, the same thing. Elisha did the same thing to confuse the enemies of God. He lied to them. The most interesting one to me is in Joshua 2, the story of Rahab, who was a prostitute, who when the spies from Israel went into the city of Jericho, she took them into her house and hid them from the people in the town and from the king of Jericho. And when they came to the door, Rahab, are those men that came looking into the city, are they here? And she said, oh, you know what, they were here, but they went out the back and they went over the back wall. And so they sent a party to chase after them. And Rahab, in the meantime, had hidden, hidden them in her room under a bunch of straw. And you know what was interesting to me was that she was commended by God for doing it. And you can read about it in, in uh, Joshua uh, 2. But you can also read about it in Hebrews chapter 11. She was a woman of great faith. She also was rewarded by God and allowed to marry into the Messianic line of which Jesus Christ was born. And that's in Matthew chapter 1. So now here's a woman who was rewarded for lying. If you don't have a headache yet, let me ask you another question. In 1 Samuel 20, the king Saul asked David, I mean, asked Jonathan where David was. And David said, oh, he's not here. And Saul said, oh, where did he go? Oh, he went somewhere else. He did this or that. And basically, he just lied to his dad. And the reason that he lied to him was to expose the hatred in Saul's heart for, for David. And Saul stood up and through his spirit, his own son, he hated David so much and it exposed what he had thought was true about his dad, but he wasn't sure until he came up with this story about David. And it exposed the hatred that was in his heart and his resentment toward David. The prophet Nathan came to King David and told him this wonderful story about a man who had a little lamb and this lamb was taken by somebody who had a lot of sheep. And made this whole story up and lied about this story, made a whole story up about it. To expose the wrong in David's life. All right, now well, let me ask you a stupid question. I mean, is this right or wrong? Is lying right or wrong? Are there times when you can lie and times when you can't? Let me ask you another story, uh, situation. During the Civil War, when slaves were beaten and brutally treated by those that owned them or possessed them at the time. And they would run away and they would hide in farms of, of uh, people that cared about them and, and would have compassion toward them and would hide them. And when the owners came to them looking for them and asking them if they saw them, the owners would lie and say, no, we haven't seen them. They were hidden in their own house. And they lied. Were they doing what was wrong before God or right? 
My wife and I were in, in, the, in uh, Amsterdam a few years ago and we went to the house where Anne, Fra Anne Frank was hidden. And the Dutch hid Jews all throughout their land during the, the, uh, the, the uh, occupation of Nazi Germany because they knew that if Jews were found, they would be exterminated by Hitler. And they went through great personal risk to hide them in their homes. And they lied to them. If someone came to your house and said, hey, is there anybody else here? And they had a gun and, and they had intent to harm your family. And you knew your children were hiding upstairs in, their, in the bedroom closet. Would you say, oh, I cannot tell a lie. They're up in the third bedroom on the right. Go ahead. <laughs> See, I mean, what do you say? What do you do? See, we're people that try to oversimplify life at the expense of truth in the Scripture. And so I don't want to make a big deal about it because it's really the exception and it isn't the rule. But I've come to the conclusion that lying is justified for the following reasons. If the lying is to honor the character of God and if the liar is to deceive an enemy of God and what they stand for and what they intend to do then all throughout Scripture it has been applauded and commended by God for taking a personal risk to do that. And you see the difference between it? Now let me tell you something. This is the exception. That's why I don't even want to spend a whole lot of time on it because the majority of us are not put in the position of having to make this type of choice. Our lying is based on just saving our own skin and our own hide, benefiting from it, from it in some way, to benefit from it from a financial standpoint, to benefit it from it so we don't have to pay a personal price or consequence for actions that we've taken. Most of our lying falls into the category that's wrong before God. But I would be wrong in covering this subject without saying there are times, and that's why we need to pray for wisdom and discernment, there are times when it is right to lie in order to fulfill a higher calling, which is to honor the authority and the character of God, and to protect innocent lives. Because every case that, that we have mentioned throughout Scripture, the people that lied did so at great personal risk and expense. They did not do it because they would benefit from it. They did it because the higher purpose was right before God and they were willing to pay the price and the consequences of doing what they did. If the midwives were caught, they would have been killed. If Rahab was caught, she would have been killed. For those who are lying, if they are caught, there was a price to pay that honored God and not to protect themselves or to benefit from it in some way. That's all I want to talk about. That's all I want to mention to you because it's an exception and it's certainly not the rule. But the other thing we need to understand is we need to be praying for wisdom and the discernment because if we lie and it's outside of this category, here's what's going to happen and that deals with the consequences of lying. This is something that each of us need to understand because it is clearly taught. In Proverbs 12, 19, if you want to look at that, the consequences of lying. The first one is very simple. And that lying is always temporary. Lying is always temporary. Proverbs 12, 19 says, The truthful lip, telling the truth, will be established forever. But a lying tongue is but for a moment. One of the most wonderful things about teaching the Bible is that I know if I stand here and teach what the Bible teaches that I never have to worry about it coming back to haunt me in any way. Because truth is established forever. It'll be the same today and it'll be the same 10 years from now. It was the same 10 years before. It'll never change. It'll always be the same. And so with confidence, we can stand here and say, look, the Bible says this. And I don't have to worry about it ever coming back and any repercussions from it. It's truth and it's established forever. The, lying, the, the truthful lip is established forever, but by contrast, a lying tongue is but for a moment. 
How many examples do we need to see? Pick up the newspaper. A lying tongue and deceit is always going to be uncovered somewhere along the line. We see the chief of NBC News, whether he knew about it or didn't know about it, he had to resign after they did that rig crash thing for, the, for that news program. It was a lie. It was deceiving. It was to deceive to intend to make a certain point. Well, what was the repercussions? Well, he had to resign and he lost his job because of it. I mean, you go through all of this and I'm telling you, it doesn't take a genius to look at the newspaper and see how many people are in here that have been living a lie and they've been found out. You will get found out. It's just a matter of time. God says it. And I believe it. And it's evidenced all throughout our society. If you lie, you will be caught. Somewhere, sometime, somewhere along the line, you will be caught. It's interesting, you know, if you go through some of the examples. How about this guy that, from Illinois who walked out on his family 14 years ago? All right? Here's a guy that lived a lie for 14 years. I don't care what you think. Maybe you think getting away with something for 14 years is long enough. Man, if I can just get... Most of us like, man, if I can just get away with this for a week, then I'll re-strategize. You know? And try to cover my bases another way. But a lie begets a lie begets a lie begets a lie. You've got to keep on lying, man. You know what? You've got to be a genius to be a good liar because you have to remember everything that you've said and done. Telling the truth is so easy. I just tell the truth. I don't have to worry about what I said. Did I tell this person this or that? What? I don't have to worry about getting caught. I just tell the truth. It's easier that way. But see, all the examples are here. So there's a guy that lived a lie for 14 years. He got caught. There's plenty of examples. How about that couple we mentioned last week? Embezzled $8 million over the last eight years. Okay, they got away with it for eight years. They lived a high life. They had a great time for eight years. But they're caught and they're going to jail. They're going to go to jail. Here's a Missouri couple that embezzled from the bank in which he was a president. This was uh, in Missouri. They, um, they went to Palm Springs, um, rented a place. He murdered his wife and committed suicide. Why? Because they were up for an indictment. They got caught. You're going to get caught. There was a, um, a, a guy company that I worked for when we moved to California. We were in the construction business, and uh, he was the accountant. And he had been around for a long time, and I was just some young, snotty-nosed kid, even younger than I am now. And, um, and, you know, I didn't know anything, but I had one job to do, so it was real easy to know how to do it. I, mean, I was responsible for all the material that was to be, you know, shipped, bought, shipped out to jobs and things. And so my job was to just keep track of that. That's all I had to do, where it went. Write it down. Here's where it went. Here's where it went. This is where it went. Oh, okay, fine. Well, over a period of time, every year you take a physical inventory. The purpose of a physical inventory is to make sure that your books are accurate and you always adjust your books to the physical. All right? Well, you take a physical inventory, and one of the first two physical inventories we did, there was like 400-some-thousand dollar difference between what material cost was and what was on the physical book inventory. And I got a real dilemma there because that means that there's $400,000 worth of stuff missing and my job is to keep track of it. And I was like, <laughs> but I knew that I knew what I was doing. It's not that hard. It came in this building and went out. Here's where it went. What's so hard about that? Well, anyway, make a long story short, over a long period of time and when the company went up for sale and they brought in outside auditors and Atlantic Richville bought it, they would start and they began to examine the books. Well, interesting thing was happening with our accountant. What he would do was, because he had been in this industry forever, and he knew material cost was always 55% of our sales. That was his mentality. It was always 55%. So at the end of the month, if it showed 60% or 62%, that couldn't be right because the margins would be low. And if the margins were low, then we'd have to make adjustments in the overhead because that meant that we weren't making as much money. We're losing money. And there's all kind of things you have to do with these management tools if you want to use them right. And so what he would do is just say, well, that can't be right. We'll change it to 55%. 
And he kept doing that for a number of years until finally when they came in, they discovered what was going on. And so for six years or whatever, he continued to get away with it. But the problem was all the information that was given to the management team to make decisions was erroneous. And all the decisions that were made were wrong because of this person's lying deceit. And the only reason he was doing it was because he knew that if he told the truth, the owner didn't like to hear stuff like that. And so he just did all this stuff. But what's the whole point? The point is, if you lie, you're going to get caught. I don't know how long it's going to take. And the nice thing is, neither do you. What a great way to live. So the point is simple. If you're living a lie, stop doing it. Be men and women of truth. Because if you're not, you're going to get caught. Someday, somewhere, payday is coming. And if I were you, I'd stop and really consider what I'm doing in my life. I told you the story of the guy that uh, we met every year for eight years uh, during the off-season. And uh, for eight years, we had this accountability group, Bible study group, man. This is the way this works. You have this Bible study group, and you're going to be accountable to one another, and you're not going to have anything hidden. There's no going to be no dirty linen in your closet. And you want to just be open and honest before one another and before God because we're going to hold ourselves accountable, and we're going to make sure that we're doing what's right before God. And we pray, pray the prayers, and we say the, say, it's the things that we say, and we're all open with each other. And, man, we all feel good, and we all walk out thinking, oh, that was really good. Right? And eight years later, this whole thing's been going on. And this guy, I find out he, he's had ten affairs during that last eight years. And it all hit the fan. And here's a guy that was in a Bible study group to be accountable, to live right before God. And man, there was nothing hidden in his life. There was nothing going on. And man, I'll tell you what I learned from it. I learned this. There's a whole bunch of you sitting out here today that go to Bible study groups and you come to church and you go and accountable to one another and you just live a lie. And you're living a lie. And you know what? And God knows it because He knows what you got going on. And you can... Fake each other out all you want. But the real truth of the matter is, if you're living a lie, you're going to get caught. That's some tough stuff. And you know what's going to happen when you do? You're going to get punished. You're going to pay the price. A false witness will not go unpunished, Proverbs 19.5. And he who speaks lies will not escape. If you are not on the outside, which you are on the inside, then you're going to pay the price. And it's going to be severe. A false witness will not go unpunished. And he who speaks lies shall perish. We don't have time, but I want you to read Acts chapter 5. Just do a little of your own homework sometime. There was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And they went and they sold their piece of property and they brought the money from the sale to the apostles and they laid it at the apostles' feet. And the apostles said to them, hey, is this all the money that you got? And they said, oh, you just better believe it is. And his wife knew it was a lie, and he knew it was a lie, and they began to test him. And they said, hey, hey, Ananias, uh, is that all the money you got? Oh, yes, it is. And they brought his wife in another area of the room, went over and said, is this all the, the money that you got? And she said, oh, yes, it is. And you know what he said? He said, hey, the apostle looked at him and said, why do you lie to the Holy Spirit of God? Why do you lie to God? And you know what God did to him? He zapped him. He killed them. They dropped dead right there. They were hauling Ananias out the front door. And Sapphira was over here in the little foyer area. And they were asking her the same question. And she said the same line. While their husband her husband was being carried out the door, God took care of her too. And zapped her. She dead. Checked out. Didn't need the money they held back, huh? <laughs> Didn't need it anymore. They were history. 
They were gone. God took care of that. And you know what happened through the church? People got scared. They were afraid to lie. Isn't that interesting? Let me just tell you something personal because it's, 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 it's long enough away now that it's a little easier and clearly... It, it becomes more clear in the understanding what God's trying to teach all of us. When, uh, when Pastor Hawking was exposed for his sexual immorality and for the lying that, that was subsequent to what he did to cover it all up, um, this is what I learned from it. I know you all learned something different, but I just want to share with you what I learned. Number one, I learned this. The most difficult thing about it is that what the Bible teaches is so true that we need to be careful where we stand. We need to take heed where we stand lest we too can fall. And there's none of us that are immune to that. We've got to be very careful about that. I also learned that, um, that biblical knowledge doesn't mean that we'll always live and do the right thing. You have all the knowledge in the world, but it takes that wisdom that we talked about, praying for wisdom. How do I apply what I've learned and do what's right in this particular situation? We need to pray for wisdom and discernment. I also learned that God's not a respecter of persons. That it doesn't really matter who we are or what position we hold or how much so-called power we have or what influence we have on other people. That God will not compromise the truth of Scripture and His principles for the sake of another agenda. He can't overlook those things. And so, I'll tell you what it did to me. It scared me to death. And I began to realize that's exactly what God wants. He wants us to be afraid of doing the wrong thing. He wants us to be afraid of doing wrong. Not afraid of Him, that He will do something to us unjustly, but afraid of us doing what's wrong before a holy and perfect God who will hold us accountable to what we do. See, and I, want, I don't know what it's going to take for us to understand this truth. We don't have any excuse because it's too close to home and it's too visible. What God is saying to all of us is, He does not want us living a lie because lying is only temporary, that lying will not go unpunished, that somewhere along the line it will be exposed. And when it does, there's a price to be paid. If you're living a lie, all I can do is encourage you as I encourage myself to do what's right. To do what's right. Stop living a lie. Because once you start, you can't get out of it without paying a price. And the quicker you get out of it, the Bible says to judge yourself lest you be judged. The quicker you get out of it, the less the consequences that you'll have to pay. And you know what's a wonderful thing? Man, it's nice to get up in the morning and to look in the mirror and know that there's nothing hidden in your heart. Isn't that a wonderful way to go to bed at night, knowing you don't have to worry about whether you're going to get caught when you wake up in the morning? God says, hey, you know what? It's temporary. It's pun- there's punishment. And also that your gain will not satisfy you. Proverbs 20:17, Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. What a great illustration. Oh, man, it tastes good for the moment. You got away with it. You overcharge somebody. You got too much change back from the store. You know, the, the, the time I went into the drive-thru teller, the guy gave me back like 800 extra dollars. And I was like, hey, hey, got something for you. Sent it back to him and his face was white as a sheet. I said, I think this is yours. And he went, You know, 
But, but see, the gain would have been sweet for a moment, but then you have to live with yourself after that. I mean, oh, man, oh, and someone's like, oh, it's an answer to prayer. Oh, please. God meets our needs in such mysterious ways. It's like, oh, no. You know, you, you, know, you took a shortcut. You didn't give the people what you said you were going to give them. I mean, there's a million ways you can deceive and lie and cheat and steal from people in our, in our culture and in the business that you're in. But God says, you know what? It's temporary. It'll, it'll be, it tastes good for the moment. I got over and then all of a sudden, God's like, no, you didn't. I know what you did. You know what you did. You're not going to be able to sleep. You're not going to be able to live with yourself. You're not going to be able to handle all this. You're going to get caught, and you're going to get punished. And now, you know why? Because you just studied in the Bible. And if I said it, I mean it, and I'm going to do it. Now that you know it, there's no excuse for it. Some of us think, man, if I don't read the Bible, I'll be a lot better off. You know? No, you won't. The, the penalty is still there whether you know it or not. We need to be as informed as possible so we know how to live what's a right life before God. And he says, you know what? It won't satisfy. Amen. You know what? Let me close on this because this is a consequence that is too serious to avoid. Revelation 21.8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral... Drug addicts, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. A consequence of lying that we cannot ignore and that we must discuss is if you are a liar and you continue to be a liar and there's no repentance and there's no change of heart, and there's no conviction, and you think you're getting over, and you think it's a great way to live your life, then it is evidence, according to the Bible, that you will spend the rest of your days for all of eternity in a place that was made for those who violate the standards of God. And that's a place called hell. Well, actually, a lake of fire. Revelation 21:27 says, "But there shall be by no means enter into the heavenly city anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie." You can't ignore this because the consequence is too severe, and I would be wrong in doing so. The bottom line is very simple. For those of us who continue to live a life that's a lie, to continue to lie with no repentance or no remorse, it's a very dangerous sign or symptom, according to God, that you don't have a life that's pleasing to God, that you've never come to faith in Christ, and that there's no evidence of that, even though you may say that you prayed a prayer, went down in front, signed a card, did whatever you wanted to do. The reality of it is, for those who continue to live in a lifestyle that is exactly the opposite of what God says is evidence of a changed heart. There's only one destiny for you, and that's a place called the lake of fire. And that's a severe consequence. If you're not convicted about lying, if you don't sit here and squirm when you read the scripture and realize how you violate the principles of God, if that doesn't kind of pinch your conscience at all or convict you in any way, then there's a good indication that either you're so callous to what you're doing and so deceived by it, or the reality is that you've never come to know Christ. 
And those are the only two choices. We're all going to lie. We're all going to cheat. We're all going to steal. We're all going to sin. We're all going to make mistakes. That's not the point. That's not what he's talking about. But what he's talking about is a continued lifestyle of doing such a thing with no conviction and no remorse and no repentance and no crying out before God. God, you know what? I lie and I hate lying. I hate lying like this and I need your help. If that's not a prayer in your heart, then your heart is cold before God. And you need to understand that. God, help us to be men and women who are committed and dedicated to the truth. Because anything less than that is a very dangerous sign according to the objective standard in the Word of God, not by what I feel, not by what others think, but by what God says. It's a very dangerous position to be in, and you better examine yourself to see if you're really in the faith. David said, as he prayed, King David, uh, when he got caught lying and sinning before God in Psalm 51, he said, scrub me with hyssop, which was a plant that was used to scrub the sores of a leper. And the leper couldn't feel anything because of the scabs and the callousness was so severe. And God said, scrub me. And David said, scrub me with hyssop and get that callousness off my heart because I need to feel something again underneath all of this sin that I've been living and this lie that I've lived for so long. I need to feel a sensitivity to spiritual things again. I need to feel your presence in my life. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I want to feel close to you again. And I need the only way I can do it is you're going to have to scrub this garbage from my life. That should be all of our prayer. Lord, scrub this garbage from my life so that I can feel close to you again and I want to do what's right. How can a man keep his ways pure but by heeding the word of God? That's the only way you and I can be right with God and by evidence we do what's right. If you lie, stop lying. If you're living a lie, come clean and stop doing what you're doing and you'll please God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to take a look at something that's so practical for all of our lives. God, help us to be transparent, not to play games with each other. Even in the... Even in the confines of church or Bible study or accountability groups and all that goes along with it. But to realize we're not playing games with anybody but you. As Ananias and Sapphira found out that all lies aren't against one another, but all lies are against you. And that when we lie, we lie to you. And we know that we can't. Because those of us who know you are convicted about it, we struggle with it, we try to justify and rationalize it, but in our heart, your spirit's at work telling us that it's wrong what we're doing. God, we thank you for that. For without his presence in our life, we have no warning system that what we're doing is wrong before you. God, we have no excuse. May we be men and women who are committed to truth at all costs. To examine our conversation with one another carefully to make sure that we're not exaggerated, exaggerating or blowing things out of proportion or saying things that we don't know are facts. God, help us to see that you want us to be pure in our heart and pure before you. God, help us to stop living a lie. And we just thank you that you give us the strength and the power of your Holy Spirit to be controlled by the Spirit, to live lives that are pleasing to you and to be truthful with one another. And we just thank you for the freedom, the ability, and the peace just to be able to look at ourselves in the mirror and to sleep at night knowing that there's no unseen or wicked ways hidden in us but that we're pure before you and before the world in which we live. And we just thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen.